welcome everyone. We're so glad you're here. Um, I know I do see some new faces, so for those of you who are new, my name's Dave Fukuyama, and I'm the senior pastor here, and I'm so happy you're here and hope that uh, you could maybe one day see uh, Mission Valley as your family. But, you know, we just, um, this is kind of like the Easter hangover where we um, had a wonderful time worshiping the Lord uh, last week. And uh, it's so great to um, celebrate and remember the resurrection because, like I said in my uh, sermon, without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Without the resurrection, our faith is worthless, right? And the Apostle Paul uh, says that. But was the resurrection just an event, right? Or how does the resurrection apply to our lives today? Because a lot of us, we look at it as, an, at it, as, it as an event. It's, you know, it's an, a special event, right? But it's an event that um, we celebrate, and then we just move on in life. But what was the resurrection all about? It's about, you know, Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. Right, And that's symbolic of our life as believers, right? When we accepted Christ, we said, okay, we were crucified on the, Christ with, um, crucified on the cross with Christ, and we were saying that our old, our old life is dead. The way that we used to live life, the way we used our values, the worldly values, that's dead. But then again, we rose again, and then we're a new creature. And so we are supposed to live as a resurrected individual. It's not just an event. It's something that we need to bear in mind every single day. And that through that resurrection, we see what? The transformation that God will do to each one of us. And transformation is the most important. You know, when you think about what does God want to do in your life? Well, he wants to transform you into the likeness of his son. Why? Because when he starts transforming us, then what? He makes us, you know, godly spouses. He makes us godly um, children, godly friends, godly workers, godly children, godly, for those of you students, godly, godly students, right? And I know there's a lot of books out there on, you know, how to, you know, be uh, the spouse that you are supposed to be. There are marriage seminars out there. There are all of these different seminars out there in order, or parenting seminars, and they're good, and these books are good. But they're meaningless unless what? You are transformed, right? And the way we deal with some of the struggles is to allow God to transform us because God is the one doing the work. You know, in Galatians 5.16, Paul says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So let's say you're struggling with impatience. Let's say you're struggling with lust. Let's say you're struggling with, you know, behavior patterns or thoughts, and that you're saying, man, every time I, you know, try to stop these things, I fail, and you beat yourself up, beat yourself, and beat yourself up. Well, this is what transformation is all about. You're not supposed to do these things using your own willpower. Because I guarantee you, if you're trying to stop certain behaviors, certain thought patterns through your own willpower, like, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, you may succeed for a little while, but you're going to end up failing. And then you're going to feel, feel, start feeling guilty, and you're going, okay, what's going on here? I must be a horrible Christian. But we don't realize that our walk, although it's difficult, the transformation part should be effortless on our part. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's doing the work. 
We're not doing the Holy Spirit. We're not doing the work. The Holy Spirit is responsible for your transformation, not you, right? And so this is what we're going to talk about, and we're going to talk about a six, we're going to be going through a six-week series on how God transforms us. Because this, if you get this, you know, it'll affect every aspect of your life. You know, for the things that you struggle with, yes, we're going to continue to sin, but you're going to find out that when you allow the Holy Spirit to start transforming your life, all of the things that bother you, you know, it seems like the Holy Spirit takes care of it. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it's not as hard as if we were trying to do it um, by ourselves. And today we're going to start by talking about what is the transformed life. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Romans 12, chapter 1. Romans 12, chapter 1. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is the, your true and proper worship. So once again, we know that he's talking about believers here because he's addressing brothers and sisters. But he says, in view of God's mercy. So what's he talking about here? Well, you know, God's mercy, you know, that, that's his love. That's his grace that he has for us. And what Paul is saying, since God loves you, since God is gracious to you, since God has been merciful uh, to you in terms of uh, providing salvation for us, you know, this is the way we want you, I want you to, he wants us to live, is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now that's, you know, when you say living sacrifice, what's that? Well, you know, one of the sacrifices that we see throughout the Old Testament was what they called the burnt offering. Now, the burnt offering was a voluntary act of worship to express one's commitment to God. And God also used it to as an atonement for unintentional sin. So it was it was an offering that was used to express devotion and commitment to God. And we see this, you know, in the Old Testament, whether it was, um, you know, Abel. We know that Noah did it. You know, Abraham did it. But it, it became a law in how they did it in Leviticus 1. And basically what... Um, what happened is a priest would take either a bull, a, a ram, a bird, and it all depended on what you could afford. If you were wealthy, you could, you know, afford a bull. And if you were poor, maybe you could only afford, afford a bull. But what the um, priest would do, they would skin, let's say, the bull. Right, and the skin, uh, the hide would be given to the priest so they could sell it, you know, to make earn money. And then they would, you know, cut it up. And then the entrails, they would have to, you know, the priest would have to wash it with water. And then they would put the whole animal on the altar. And then as it was being burned, that aroma was a pleasant aroma to God, right? But when you take a look at it, I think that's kind of like what the idea that um, Paul's talking about here. He's saying, give the whole animal to the sacrifice. And so what, what's God saying here is that he wants us to give all of ourselves to God. And the way we live our, our lives, giving our whole self to God, is a pleasing aroma to God. right? And that is our act of worship. Because the problem with a lot of us today is we think of worship as what? It's something that just happens on Sunday, 
right? It's when we sing songs. It's when we, oh, if I'm feeling it, man, I'm lifting my hands, you know, praising the Lord. And we think that's worship. Well, that's only a part of worship. What the Apostle Paul is talking about here, the way we live our lives 24-7, that's real worship. That's real worship. And so our first point is transformation happens when we decide to give 100% of our lives to God. When we decide to give God 100% of our lives, right? That's when it starts. When we, and we have to make that decision. At what point do we, and we're not going to be perfect at it, and we're not going to be perfect every single day because we're still going to make a lot of mistakes, but at what point in time do we say that, okay, God, I'm going to draw a line in the sand here, and at this point I'm going to give you 100% of my life. And the reason why a lot of us get frustrated in the faith, and I've been there too, is we don't give God 100% of our lives. You know, we say, okay, God, I'll give you 50% of my life. You know, the part that I go to church, the part where I serve, the part where maybe I teach Sunday school, I'll give you that part. But there's this other part that, you know, I want for myself. Transformation does not work that way. It only happens when we decide to give 100% of our lives to God. But we have to remember that 100% looks different to somebody who's a mature believer in comparison to 100% of somebody who's just starting their journey with Christ, okay? So you cannot compare yourselves to other believers, right? We're all in different places. The only thing that we have in common, though, is that we need to give 100% to God. Why? Because didn't God give us 100%? You know, are we like 50% saved? You know, are we 80% forgiven? No. We're 100% saved. We're 100% forgiven. God gave us 100%. Therefore, he expects the same from us. It doesn't mean perfection, but in our hearts, in our minds, we are saying, you know, Lord, with my life, I'm going to give you 100%. You know, it's going to look different than somebody else's 100%, but I'm going to give you 100%. And then he goes on to say, do not conform um, to the pattern of the world. Now, it says conform. Now, if you take a look at this verb, it's what they call a passive imperative, meaning that conform is something that's being acted upon you. You are passive. You are not actively conforming. Something's conforming you into something else. And then indicative just means, imperative means this is not a suggestion, right? This is a command. So he says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. And, and the world, what, what he's talking about here, it's an outward expression that is kind of used as masquerading, right? Conforming means, okay, you know, it's, it, there's a difference between who I am on the inside, but you know what? I see what people are doing on the outside. I see what my friends are doing. I, I see what the world wants. I see what they're doing on TV. And so I'm going to act like that. Right Now, inside it may not be what we believe or who we are, but, you know, for the sake of, let's say, peer pressure or whatnot, I'm going to act this way. And it has the feeling of that. But it also says the pattern of the world, right? And it's just talking about the schemes. The word uh, pattern is schema, which is the schemes or the values of this world. And so when you think about it, you know, how, do, how are we being conformed? Because it is so subtle, 
Remember, I, you know, I, you know, I've shared sermons on how I'm watching things, how I'm doing things, and I don't even realize that. Oh my goodness, I've been conformed into you know the pattern of this word because it's so subtle. And so I knew I was preaching on this um, this past Sunday. So what I did is everything I watched on TV or I normally watch or sometimes DV, you know record, I started watching it with these eyes, right? And I go, oh my gosh. You know, here they're talking about immorality and it just, you know, I didn't even notice it. Here they're talking about, you know, materialism and I didn't notice it. Here they were talking about, you know, revenge. Here they were talking about not loving your neighbor. You know, it's all about you. And I didn't even notice it until I started watching it through this lens. And I realized, yes, you know, I have been conformed by just what I'm watching. And it didn't even bother me until I'm looking at it from this um, lens. But also conforming is hard because there's a lot of good things in this world, right? It doesn't mean that we should be a monk, right? And, you know, you know, seal ourselves at home and not get involved in any of the worldly things. Because, you know, God, you know, created a lot of good things in this world for us to enjoy. So how do we know whether we're conforming or not? And that could be different, difficult. But if you look at John, 1 John 2.16, this is what the Apostle John writes. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And this is a good litmus test for us. Are we being conformed into the world? Because Don Willett says in his um, book, The Stages of Life, he goes, the lust of the flesh. What's that? Well, I want what feels good. And this desire is for a sensual um, pleasure fueled by hormones, compulsive habit, and self-indulgence. Now, is this a bad thing? Of course not. But God has created a place for these desires to be satisfied, and that's where? In the context of marriage, not outside the context of marriage. Because he created us with these feelings. He created us with these biological needs. And, you know, he made it pleasurable, but he's, you know, put um, boundaries around it by saying, you know what? This is supposed to happen in marriage, right? And if you don't um, uh, view it in that, then... We're going to find out, okay, what's wrong? This doesn't feel right, right? And that's what he's talking about. It's the folk, uh, you know, the lust of the flesh is focusing on, you know, legitimate needs in illegitimate ways and the preoccupation of self-fulfillment. Meaning, are we just looking at everything as a way for us to fulfill our needs? And it just doesn't have to be that. It could, you know, for me, it could be food, Right? You know, you know, I was talking to, yesterday I was uh, talking with somebody, we were talking about Las Vegas, right? And I go, oh man, they got some of the best restaurants there, and the buffets there are crazy. And you put a guy like me in a situation where there is no portion control, you know, that's not a good thing, right? It's not a good thing. And I remember when, oh my goodness, when Grace and I were dating, we'd go to these, you know, high-end markets, and they had a, but, a butcher there. And she said, 
you know, Dave, you're actually kind of, you're drooling over the, like a T-bone man or a New York that was, I know was prime. And I was just going, ah, salivating over, you know, this raw meat in the butcher, you know. So it doesn't have to be, it could be anything that we're looking for, you know, to, you know that it just gratifies ourselves. That's all we're thinking about, right? It's, and then he says, the lust of the eyes. He says, I want what I see. And this, well, the lust of the flesh is the desire for sensual pleasure. This is the desire for acquisitional pleasure. Materialism, which is driven by outward appearance. Meaning, if I only had this, if I had that, it would make me feel better about myself, right? And, you know, I was listening to a sermon when I was driving this uh, in the car this week. And I was convicted by what this one pastor was saying. He was saying, just because you have the money, should you buy something? And I was brought up with, you know, when you want something you can't afford it, what do you do? You save. And if it's a good thing, then you say, okay, I'm going to buy it. But what this one pastor was saying is, as we steward God's money, do we ask God, should I buy this? Do we ask God, is this the way you want to spend your money? You know, because when I'm thinking about it, I rarely ask that because I go, okay, you know, I think this would be good, you know. And, you know, there are a lot of things, whether it's hobbies or things like that, that, it, that it's okay, right? But what he was saying is, one of the examples he gave was, you know, you drive an old car, right? Your car, you know, still has some mileage on it and it, it could run. And he said, do you buy a new car or do you... I mean, keep your old car, you know, granted that it's safe and all of that, and you use the money that you would save by not purchasing a new car for God's work. And when I heard that, I go, oh. Because, you know, my, like our car is 2007, so what's that, like almost 16, 17 years, right? And then I'm thinking about that. I go, okay, God, does that mean you want me to keep driving this car because it's in fairly good condition, right? But this is what, you know, Paul's talking, uh, uh, John's talking about here is the desire for acquisitional pleasure. You know, buying things, nothing wrong with that. But why are you buying these things? Do you need to buy these things? Can that money be used for God's work, supporting a missionary, supporting an orphan or whatnot? Then he says the pride of life. And this is the desire for rec, uh, rec, could, recognitional pleasure, right? There's a desire to be significant, affirmed, admired from the standpoint of the world. We all want to be affirmed, right? We all do. We all want to feel significant. And we were created to feel these things. But we were created to be affirmed, admired, and get our significance from who? God, not the world. Not our achievements, not our GPA, not our career, right? By God. And so if you take a look at this litmus test, see those three things, that's how you know you'll be conforming to the world, right? Now we have to remember, these are powerful things. Number one, because these are needs that God created in each one of us. It's a part of our DNA, Right to have these needs met. And God created us, and he said it was good. He said we were good when he created us back in Genesis. 
However, all of these needs that he put in us that God said was good and that we have need to be met in the context of our relationship with him. And this is why it makes, so hard, it, makes it so difficult because we know we have the, these needs, but man, if we're trying to get them met from other places, our life will not, our, our life will not work as um, believers. But like I said, a lot of times you don't even know that you're be, being conformed in this world. The way we think and all of that, we've been so, we're so used to what we're seeing, right? And we may not even know, and that's the hard part. But see, this is why it's not in here, but um, Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, it's Psalm 139, 23 to 24. What I would suggest you do is use this as a prayer. Don't just read this. Make this your prayer. Ask God to say, God, is there any offensive way in me? Is there any way where I've conformed to this world and I don't even know it? I don't even know it because you're not going to be able to recognize it, right? Ask God to help you do that. And he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing perfect will. He talks about being transformed here. And that's basically the word where we get metamorphosis from. It's the ability to change from one thing to another. So if you look at this picture right here, this pains me to do this. Because I wanted to use transformers as my example, right? You know, I, want, I had Optimus Prime robot mode, Optimus Prime vehicle mode, but I had a talk with one of my staff members, and I spent over 15 minutes explaining what Transformers were, who Optimus Primes were, the difference between Autobots and Decepticons, why you need to be in a robot mode versus a vehicle mode. And I said, oh, my goodness. And so I just said, I don't know if there's any of you other out here who the same way. So I thought, at least you would know what this is, you know, because if you know me, I have a huge collection of Transformers. And for those of you Transformer nerds like myself, a lot of them are G1, and only you would know that, what that meant. Um, but anyway, we see here a monarch butterfly caterpillar, right? Next picture. Ah, it transforms into that. <laughs> right, a butterfly. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, is that when we were a believer, we are like that caterpillar. However, he said, when we become a believer, our minds have to be transformed into something totally different than what it was before. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. And what he's also saying here is living a transformed life starts with the transformation of our mind. And this is important. Living a transformed life starts with the transformation of our mind because we can't live in a way that's inconsistent with what we believe. Let me repeat that. We can't live or we can't act in a way that is inconsistent with what we believe. And this is key because a lot of times we can fool ourselves, especially when it comes to the faith, 
right? We go to a life group, a Bible study, a college Christian group, and it's a time of sharing. And we share all of these things, right? Sometimes they're true. Sometimes we say things just because, well, that's what I'm supposed to say. That's what I want people to think, right? And you could say that you believe something all you want, but you can't act in a way that's inconsistent with what you believe. Otherwise, it's just a charade. It's just an act. Actions reveal what we truly believe. That's why the Bible says, I'll show you my faith with my works, by my work. It doesn't mean we're saved by works, right? But works is what? A byproduct of our faith. Work shows is a byproduct of what we believe. It's the action part of our belief. Belief alone does not transform you, right? It's what? You have to believe it and it's followed up by action. And we're going to talk about that a little more. And it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think of those things. He says, our minds are transformed when we align our thoughts with the Bible. And this is key. This is why reading the Bible, and I've said over and over and over again, it's so important. Because the Bible is a blueprint for how God wants us to live our lives, right? And if we don't read it and we don't know, then how are we supposed to know how to act, right? And there is no ignorance to the law. You know, it's no, we can't go before God and say, well, wow, God, I didn't know. No, we have that. And so our minds are transformed when we align our thoughts with the Bible. Now, this is key. We all have to have a learning heart. I don't care how many years you've been walking with Jesus. You all have to have a learning heart that you could learn from anybody. I remember I went to this church, and it was Youth Sunday. And so they had a youth person actually giving the sermon, right? And I heard, heard some people saying, oh, my gosh, it's a youth person. You know, what do they have to say to us? You know, but I went in there saying, you know what? This person could teach me something. And you know what? I was correct. You know, this one person gave up and did a sermon, right, in the best of, you know, their ability, but I learned something. Why? Because I said, I have a learning heart, and this person could teach me something. And so we have to have a learning heart, especially when it comes to the Bible, because you could read the same verse one time, and you'll read it two, uh, um, two years later. The verse hasn't changed. The meaning hasn't changed but the application might have, right? And so that's why it's important. And so how do we transform our minds? Well, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, um, the Apostle Paul says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Okay, so what that means is, you know, we have these thoughts. If you look at my mind, you know, every single day there are myriad of thoughts that go against what I know Scripture's, you know, saying. And so what we need to do is acknowledge that these thoughts are not from God and to stop them at the beginning, right? Now, obviously, we can't do that with every 
thought. You know, the guys in my life group, we, we learned this when Neil Anderson said, if we try to take every thought captive, it would be like treading water, right, in the, let's say, in a lake, and trying to get a cork and having a hammer and trying to keep that cork underwater by hitting it with a hammer. He said, that's not possible. What? But what he said is choose the truth and keep choosing the truth until it becomes a normal part of your life. You got that? Now, you know, pick some things that you're struggling with right now. What does the Bible have to say about that? Choose the truth and keep choosing the truth until it becomes a normal part of our life. You know, our minds are transformed when we refuse to believe anything that con- contradicts with the Bible. And this is important. Our minds are transformed when we refuse to believe anything that contradicts with the Bible. And so many of us get messed up about this. You know, I know, you know, Lindsay said this in her testimony last week. Sorry, Lindsay, I was looking for you and I couldn't tell you about it. But I said, since you shared with us last week. But this is something that I struggled with, too. And she said she was chained from the pattern of sin, hide and repeat. Right. And that's what the pattern that I was stuck in, too. Whenever I'd sin, I would my first um, uh, act or response was to hide from God. Why? But that's also in our DNA, because Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they didn't know what sin was. Right. What did they do? Their natural response was to hide from God. They were embarrassed. They were ashamed. They felt guilty. So they hid from God. And that's the way I would deal with sin. Was, you know, whenever I do something wrong, especially if it was habitual, then I, I would hide from God as if he didn't know because I was ashamed. It's like, okay, God, here, here I go again. But one thing that I learned, that is not what Scripture says. When we, to, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, what are you supposed to do? Instead of hiding from God, we are to approach his throne of grace. And so one of the things I did, and I hope you could do this, and it changed my life. Whenever I sinned, whenever I made a mistake, instead of saying, oh, my gosh, I did it again. Man, when's God's mercy going to run out? Surely I've, you know, I've crossed that line. I don't think that way anymore. What I do is I run to God. I run to God. I run to God, and I go to Scripture. And I remind what Scripture says about grace, that when Peter says, how many times should I forgive them? Seventy. And what does Jesus say? No, seven times seventy. What, 490 times? Right? No, that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was telling Peter that you need to forgive them and keep on forgiving them. But what Jesus is giving us an insight is how he relates to us. That he does not forgive us 70 times 7, 490 times. Because if he did, there are a lot of sins that I've done more than 490 times. That he keeps on forgiving us. So rather than hiding, rather than being ashamed, and rather than feeling guilty, I run to God. I say, God, man, I, I blew it again. You know, please forgive me, right? And some things are easier than others, to try to overcome through the power of the Spirit. And we know that. You know, there are certain things in our lives that are strongholds, that have a grip on us. They're a little bit harder. But that's what the transforming power is all about. 
And yes, we are going to continue to make a mistake on the road to transformation. But when you do, do not run from God. Do not be ashamed. Do not feel guilty. Do not be embarrassed to go before God. So when you make a mistake, your first response should be to run to God, not away from him. Okay? Because once again, being, feeling ashamed, feeling condemned, That goes against Scripture. That goes against Scripture. And so we can't be transformed, and I couldn't be transformed if this is the way I believe God related to me, right? Because that was going against Scripture. That the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when I would make a mistake, that's what I would do. I'd just go to that verse. You know, God, I'm sorry, there's no, remind myself there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus and ask God for the power to um, be transformed. But we do have a part in that, and that's our lives are transformed when we reinforce what we think or with application. Or what the, we, re, we, our lives are transformed um, when we reinforce what the Bible says with application. Application, okay? When we think along the lines of biblical knowledge and then we apply that, that's how we are transformed. This is why we need to be in our Bibles daily. This is why we need to be in our Bibles daily. It's when we apply that, that we apply Scripture, that's how we're transformed. It's not good enough to say, oh, I believe that God could transform me. No, we have to take what Scripture says, what the Bible says, and apply it. And, you know, when I talk to people, um, you know, about Scripture and studying the Bible, they say, oh, the Bible's so hard to understand. And I say, no, it's not. It really isn't, right? The majority of the Bible is not that difficult to understand. Now, yes, I granted there are certain um, parts of the Bible that make it different, cultural differences between when the Bible was written and then our culture, concepts that we don't understand, prophecies that we don't understand. Yes, that makes it difficult. But you know, the Bible wasn't written for those who only have a PhD, right? Because the majority of the people on this, uh, that have lived throughout history, what? They were uneducated, right? And so what do you, it's not that hard for us especially now in today's um, culture to understand. But what is hard is applying it. And so I think this is when we need to shift our mind, right? To say, oh, I'm, the Bible's too hard to understand, so I don't read it. Keep reading it, but understand that the application part is hard. And this is where we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us with that application of the of scripture. And um, today, this is why we have given you these, right? Do you all have these cards? And so basically what this, what we wanted to do, instead of having a weekly challenge, we've given your cards of living a transformed life. And on the back of it, you know, it's going to talk about how, you know, these cards are how to live a transformed life. And then if you look at the uh, second card, every single Sunday, what's going to happen is it's going to give you a practice of living like Christ, right? And it's going to be based upon the main 
um, Bible verse that we use. And so when you take a look at the front, it's Romans 12.2. That was the main verse for today. But this also serves as a, what, memorization verse, right? So every week when you give this verse, you see this verse, we want you to try to memorize this verse, okay? Because Bible memorization is so important. Because when we are tempted, when we are, you know, when we are having these thoughts that we need to take captive to Christ, we need to know Scripture. We need to know what thoughts we need to bring under the obedience of Christ. And that's what that's for. Now, if you look at the back, okay, there are two practices in the back. What we want you to do is choose one practice. We give you two. And so choose one of those. And do it every single day of the week. You got that? Do it every single day of the week. And every single week, we're going to give you a new card um, that builds upon this that coincides with the sermon. And we're going to give you more practices to do. And hopefully that as you do these practices, then you'll start to see God's transformation in your life. Because once again... Our role is to put us in a place where the Holy Spirit can transform our lives. Our, our goal isn't to transform our lives because we can't do that on our own. Only God and through the power of the Holy Spirit can, we, can, he trans, can our lives be transformed. However, we have a responsibility to put us, ourselves in a place where the Holy Spirit could work. And that's by doing the spiritual practices. This is by getting into the Word of God. This is by applying the Word of God in our lives, you know, in our prayer lives and all of that. That's our responsibility. And God's responsibility is to transform us. And this is going to be an announcement, but we are having a personal spiritual retreat. Okay, personal spiritual retreat. And that's going to be on April 29th from 9.30 to 2 p.m. And basically what this retreat is, it's geared to help us practice the things that we learn in this sermon series. And so you're going to um, hear more about that in the um, future, but if you can mark off April 29th, a spiritual, personal spiritual retreat. And these are the things that we're going to try to do to help you um, transform your life because if you really, really want to live the life that God wants for you, it could only happen when you're transformed. But I guarantee you, when you start seeing the Holy Spirit transform your life, you'll say, Wow, what a difference it's making in my life. And but notice, you'll really see it in the difference it makes in your relationships with people when you start allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your life. And it makes your life so much easier. Why? Because this is what God wanted all along. He said, I want the work. I'm doing the work. I want to do all the work. But then again, who gets all the glory? You know, God does. You know, when you, when you look at a trend, when people ask, oh my gosh, you've changed, right? You know, what happened? We, we point to God. He says, the Holy Spirit, I didn't have anything to do with it. And this is what Jesus could do for you. You know, and this is a message in the hope of the gospel that when we tell people, you know, God's changed my life. He's transformed my life. And he could do that for you if you let him. Worship team, please come forward. And um, let's pray. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us and for understanding the human condition because you created us. To understand that there is a temptation in each one of us to try to solve our problems through our hard work, through our willpower. But Father, Richard Foster calls that the worship of the will, not the worship of you. So if there's any of you here right now that's struggling with something, it could be a behavioral pattern, it could be a thought process, whatever it is, where it has a stronghold in your life, where it feels like this thing has a grip on you. And I get it because I've had those many times in my life. But if that's you right now, the first part of your transformation is to tell God that you're going to give him 100% of your life. Not a perfect 100% of your life, but just 100% of your life. So if you've tried your own way and just ended up with frustration after frustration after frustration, take some moments to tell God that it is your desire to give him 100% of who you are, where you are right now. And this transformation part starts by the renewing of your mind, which starts by knowing Scripture. Because I know that there are a lot here who are beating yourselves up unnecessarily because you don't understand Scripture. You don't understand God's grace. You don't understand God's mercy. You don't understand God's forgiveness. So if that's you right now, would you ask God to reveal to you his desire for your life, his plan for your life, which does not include condemnation, that you are forgiven completely, There's no need to hide out of guilt, out of shame, out of embarrassment, because God knows. But praise God, God has forgiven each one of us. A hundred percent. Would you choose not to let your mistakes prevent you from being transformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Father, the most important work that we as your children would engage in as we live our life on this earth is to be transformed into the likeness of your son, 
And Father, there is no guarantee of a long life. And so, Father, I pray that each one of us are motivated to allow you to transform our lives. So, Father, that we could prove that your will for not only us, but the world is good and perfect. That, Father, we don't waste time chasing after things of this world because, Lord, they don't satisfy. They don't satisfy. But thank you, Father, that when our life gets difficult, when we think that there's no hope in us changing who we are, we always have hope because you and you alone are doing the work. And you and you alone get the glory and the honor and the praise for transforming us into the likeness of your Son. We pray all of these things in your Son's powerful name. Amen.